So, reposition. Am I in frame? I love these sleeves. Look at these sleeves. They're so like floofy. They're floofy and it's soft and I love it. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. Anyways. Hello everybody. Welcome to Written in Thorns. This is episode two. Um, yes, we did change the title. So if you saw the first episode, uh, there might be a couple of weird jumps where like I just have it written in there what the name of the podcast is because I changed it. I'm allowed to do that. I can do things like that because this is my podcast and it's what I want to talk about. Today, one of the things that I'm actually going to talk about is finding a way to push through when you hit a block. And for some people that block may be writer's block, but for this episode specifically, I'm going to discuss mental health block. Um, disclaimer right off the bat, I am not a mental health professional. I see a mental, I see a few mental health professionals because let's face it, not okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody is under the assumption that I'm okay. But uh, anything I say is strictly anecdotal. It is for entertainment purposes and it is of my own opinion. Um, so in and of that aspect. Um, I also apologize if you happen to hear noise in the background. I am a severe procrastinator and I only do laundry when it's inconvenient. So you're going to hear my laundry going every once in a while because it's not that far away. Um, hopefully I'm able to edit this down a little bit in post, but we'll see what happens. Right? Right. So I am, it's always interesting when you try to discuss the the topic of mental health because nobody ever wants to show the worst of it and the scary part about some mental health conditions is the worst of it is effective masking um conditions that I happen to struggle with are um CPTSD Major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, suicidal ideations, and yes, I realize I just got demonetized, but luckily this is an early enough episode that, well, I'm not getting monetized anyways, so I'm going to use the words I need to use. Um, I understand the algorithm's desire to censor certain words, and then, you know, like, especially with the TikTok society, you know, using words like unalive to kind of tiptoe around that subject. But part of my recovery for a lot of things, because I also suffer from an eating disorder because of all of the reasons that I could possibly give that would take longer than a single podcast episode should probably be dedicated to in that matter for what I'm trying to achieve. I feel like the big thing to acknowledge is that the word has power and by tiptoeing around it, I understand that that does help some people. And that's why my episodes come with warnings at the beginning of them. It's why I have my episodes rated as explicit and mature audiences only. Because I do discuss these topics that, especially for young and impressionable minors, it, it can be triggering. But 
this is an area where I want people to feel comfortable and, and confident in saying, this is the actual matter with me. This is what I'm dealing with. And I shouldn't have to censor or tiptoe around my own health for someone else's benefit outside of, you know, not being a complete and total asshole. You know, obviously I don't want anybody, you know, going at anyone. I don't want anyone being mean or rude in the, in the comments or, or anything like that. Like, you know, be a decent fucking human being. But at the same time, I don't like tiptoeing. I'd rather be direct. And so this is me saying, hi, my name is Danny. I have an eating disorder. I have anxiety disorder. I have major depressive disorder. And I am suicidal on a regular basis. And it's something that I have to own. Um, my friends know that when I'm quiet, that's when things are really hard and I'm falling into myself. I like to call it spiraling because at that point in time, everything, no matter what I do, it feels like I'm just going down a drain. I'm just circling and every thought is doom, 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 doom. And it takes a seriously strong lifeline to pull me out of it. Sometimes that lifeline is one I can give myself. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes I need that help. And I think that by creating this space for me where I'm able to discuss it openly has been astronomically beneficial. This is not going to help everybody. I understand that. This is something that you need to see a professional for if you struggle with any of these conditions, disabilities, disorders, anything like that. Always, always seek out a professional's opinion because they're going to be able to give you better insight than I can. All I can do is tell you what helped me. And one of the things that helped me was being direct and honest. So I am filming this in March. And one thing that is always a sensitive subject for me in March is my daughter's birthday. Um, my daughter is a stillborn and it, it's not an easy subject. Um, if you follow me on TikTok, I, I went into, I think it was eight parts discussing the birth story of my daughter. Um, so if you're, if you're curious to hear about that, I will link that wherever I can, depending on what platform you see this on. Um, yeah, it, it always gets kind of rough for me. And they say that time heals all wounds. And I don't believe that that's true. I think what it is, is time gives you perspective. And time can give us distance. But time does not heal those scars. They are still there. Time can 
help us find ways to cope, but it doesn't heal anything. And if you can't find good ways to cope in that time frame, then all it's done is just made the pain last even longer. And I think that's one reason why I do advocate for seeking professional help when you can and when you need it. Because there are there are good coping mechanisms and there are bad coping mechanisms. Um, we all go through them. We all know what our bad mechanisms are. We all know what our good mechanisms are. A bad coping mechanism for me was I started smoking cigarettes again. And, you know, I hadn't been smoking for a very, very long time. <clears throat> I eventually quit. Like, yay! <laughs> I did, I did finally kick smoking, but it, you know, it's, it, it came with its own costs. Um, a good coping mechanism for me was rediscovering my love of writing. And that's why my novel, my, my first novel, is so heavily covered in traumatic events and in psychology and the main character trying to decide how to survive with I can hear it, so I know it's a problem. <laughs> ah! It's on its final spins. I might as well just wait. If nothing else, now that I'm like seeing my face, especially in this cinematic view, I truly hope that this like encourages me to be more serious in my diet. I need to find time to go to a gym. That's my biggest issue, you know? Even with my eating disorder, like, I do a fair, fairly good job of, like, maintaining, like, not being ridiculous with my food. But let's face it, it's... So, if you could not tell, my eating disorder is I am a binge eater. I'm not even just an emotional eater, I am a straight up binge eater. And so these are things I have to actively think about. I have to actively think, do I need this? Is this something that I need to be eating? Am I still going to be okay if I go ahead and I skip this part of my meal? Or have I realized too late into the situation that I have now binged 3000 calories in one sitting? Things I have to think about as a binge eater. So hopefully forcing myself on camera, doing this kind of stuff, realizing that I still have the same chubby cheeks I had when I was five, five. You know how most people lose their baby fat? Well, apparently as I lost baby fat, I replaced it with adult fat. And so they just kind of balanced out. And then I, I earned my, tur my turkey waddle, my little gobble. Anyways, see, and that's another thing with coping mechanisms, like, I have a tendency to use humor as a coping mechanism. I don't even know how I'm going to edit this episode. And in all honesty, I might just put it up as is, you know, minus the little like spin cycles from my washer when it gets to be a little too intense. 
If that's the case, then hey, you get my chaos as is. If I've edited this out, you're welcome. I probably won't, though. I'll probably just let it go. Because I feel like it's important to still be in transparent and still, like, acknowledge the insanity that is life. Like, I like to make jokes that I know that I'm insane. And what keeps me from being too insane is the fact that I can still acknowledge that I'm a little bit nuts. But the fact of the matter is, is that's just a dark joke. It's a self-imposed joke at my own expense. And I feel like it's just another coping mechanism because I know that my mental health is not good. I'm in therapy. I see therapists. I work with, you know, trying to manage medications and, and all of that. I try to work on healthier coping mechanisms like my therapist endorses my writing. Well, when I say endorse, I mean she encourages. It's not like I expect my therapist to sit there and say, hey, this is my patient. Go read her book because that would be a HIPAA violation because I haven't signed anything off on that. <laughs> but you get my point. She tells me that this is a good outlet. Whereas, you know, smoking or drinking or doing something stupid would be a bad outlet, you know? Yeah. So I, I look at things like this and one of the things that has been bothering me the most, and it's taken me 17 and a half minutes to get to my point, is I have been working on the sequel novel, right? I've been working on the sequel to my, my novel and I've hit a block. And why is that? It's not a writer's block. I have, I have thousands of ideas. I've got a whole list of different plot points that I want to cover. I've got parts of these plot points already starting to be fleshed out. My problem is, is as I'm writing, my brain starts to spiral. And then I don't write. And then I realize before, you know, I've really accomplished anything else is that I sent the kids to bed so that I could work on my writing because, you know, it was after their bedtime. And that's when I try to do my writing so that I can, you know, still be a parent and still, you know, have a day job and whatnot. And I realize that it's now 2 a.m. And all I've managed to do is go in the bathroom, crawl in the tub, and cry for an hour. I haven't written anything. I'm just crying. And I know part of that has to do with, you know, additional stressors in, in life. Um, my oldest son is going through, you know, the, the medication loops. And so he has his good days, he has his bad days, and he's had a lot of bad days lately, and it's brought back a lot of, a lot of stressors that I was hoping we had moved past, and we haven't yet. And so trying to figure out how to handle all of this on my own is exhausting, but very stressful. Because there's that realization that I'm responsible for this other human being's life who's not at an age 
even physically anywhere close to it, but especially mentally, to be able to make decisions himself. And so I'm trying to find ways that I can support him through, you know, different therapies, support groups, things like that. Um, if we need to make more changes to medications, what that may look like, because we don't want him overly medicated. We want him on what is going to be a good balance for him to be able to function at his best performance level while still maintaining himself. The one thing that terrifies me is I talk to people who have been, you know, diagnosed with autism and ADHD as children and all they all tell me is the same thing. All they wanted to do was drug me until I was numb. And I do not want my son to experience that. He's a very creative child. My Lord, that child is creative. He, he sees me writing my books and all he wants to do is, I want to be a writer like mommy. That's, that's his big thing. And so I don't want that spark gone. His teachers tell me all the time that he is a very imaginative and bright child. The problem is his behavior in society because he doesn't understand those social cues or there's a disruption to his routine and it's causing him problems. And so we're still trying to learn and teach him how to handle these situations because you cannot control other people. You can control how you respond to other people, but you cannot control other people. And we're still at that age and we're still at that stage where we're learning and I'm having to learn right along with it. And it's been a lot. And so I have been additionally stressed as well. So between trying to, you know, put on the brave face and be the, the good supportive strong mother I, I need to be for my child. And then also realizing I'm again, sacrificing my own mental health. It'll be two o'clock in the morning and I've been, you know, in the bathtub crying because you can't tell what's tears and what's water if the shower's hitting you in the face. And I've accomplished nothing. So what I do at that point is I write that down. I write down the very first sentence is how I feel in that exact moment. I'm stressed. And then I elaborate. I'm stressed because of XYZ. Right now, I'm stressed because my son has gotten into trouble in school again. And I don't know how to fix this. My anxiety is high. Because the last time this happened, things got bad. And I'm scared it's going to happen again. And that fear is what's causing my anxiety. And my anxiety getting higher is increasing my stress. Sometimes for me, the best way to work past a mental health block is to literally put down in words on paper, this is my issue. Because if I can visualize it, 
I can start working to help it. I'm not going to fix it. I, I don't think that there's anything on this planet that could ever fix my stressors. But if I can see it, I can help it. I hope that this has helped at least a couple of people. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of Written in Thorns. I've been your host, Danny Rose. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.